0: Dr. John Raymond is the president and CEO of the Medical College of Wisconsin. Dr. Raymond, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, thank you, John. I want to start with something that's been in the news this week, and that is kind of an interesting report in how it's worded, but we may know more information about how COVID uh, became part of what we all had to deal with. What do we think we know about China and a possible origin?
1: Yeah, thank you, John. Uh, this this week, the investigative branch of the Department of Energy um, made a statement that they'd done an investigation about the origin of COVID. And they said with low probability, so not a lot of confidence, that it was plausible that COVID originated from and leaked from a lab in China. And that would be the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Um, And this has been an idea that's been around for a long time. I think it is important if we can get to the bottom of where the pandemic started that we do that. Um, it's been difficult to get good information from the Chinese government, which has made it difficult. So as of now, the FBI and the Department of Energy have said with either low or moderate confidence that it's plausible that there was the virus escaped from a lab in China. Four other government agencies, though, said that there really isn't sufficient evidence to make that claim. Well, there are three possibilities for where the virus came from. The one that people believe is the most plausible is that it jumped from an animal to humans. And this has happened before with viruses in the past. The second is that um, in this lab, they were studying bat coronaviruses, and there was a laboratory accident where a naturally occurring bat coronavirus escaped from the lab and then was um, infected a human being. The third possibility, which is less likely, is that this was a bioweapon or um, a gain of function, a virus that escaped from the lab. There is no genetic evidence, no fingerprints that would suggest that this was a modified virus. So it's possible that it was jumping from an animal to a human in nature, or that it escaped from a lab.
0: I just think it's strange that the probability is low, that it may be plausible, but we report that. It's just... I mean, I guess there's a low probability it could be many things. And I know you're not the reporting agency, but to me it just seems, I don't know, the headline is kind of strange.
1: It, It is, but again, it's probably a naturally occurring virus that either jumped directly to a human or it could have escaped from the lab. And it is not a coincidence in many people's eyes that the main virology lab studying bat coronaviruses in China was in Wuhan.
0: Are we better equipped, do you believe, Dr. Raymond, if something like this were to happen again, which it it likely will, maybe not on this scale, but you already referenced this, some virus jumping from an animal to a human, it gets out of control. Are we better equipped, do you believe, than we were to handle that?
1: Unfortunately, I don't believe that we are. We we actually need to come together as a country and depoliticize potential pandemics, secure our supply chain to stand up rapid testing uh, capabilities for both in a test tube to look at potential therapies for whatever the next pandemic is, and to do clinical trials so that we don't get in that position that we were in before with ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, which were popularized before we had the opportunity to really study them. Because
2: yeah. certainly taking it out of the pol- political realm and keeping it in the health realm, there are people who are going to be coping with long-term symptoms for A long time, thus calling it long COVID. But there are a lot of those symptoms that uh, I think people are going to have to deal with. And yesterday, Dr. Raymond, I almost called you to wish you a happy anosmia awareness day was yesterday. And what is anosmia?
1: (laughs) Okay, well, anosmia, it comes from Latin. An means no. Osmia means smell. So no smell. Uh So anosmia is a, a symptom that happens after many infections mostly from COVID, that causes people to lose their sense of smell. And that means they can't taste either because a large component of taste is smell. And it can be very debilitating. And it's one of the primary long COVID symptoms that people are suffering from after recovering from COVID infections. Um, the problem with it is we don't really understand much about why this happens. And the treatments aren't very good. That Really, if you can't start doing what they call smell rehab, which is retraining your olfactory nerve to be able to recognize smells early. Um, the prospects for recovery aren't great.
2: That's not good to hear because someone in my household, he suspects that he had a bad cold or a virus mm-hmm. 15 years ago and lost his sense of smell. And we actually bought one of those smell tests or you know, smell mm-hmm. retraining. Yes. He, he Does it never come any, back? No. Wow, yeah.
0: after 15 years, and and that's obviously what, pre-COVID. Yeah,
2: and yeah. It, exactly. Yeah. So I know this happens not just because of COVID, and i was wondering, so do you think there are any, if enough people now suffer from anosmia, that there will be advances in maybe treatments or at least more people to study to try and get some Right, some the cure? National
1: Institutes of Health does um, have money set aside to study long COVID, and anosmia is one of the primary um, boci of the, the studies. One of the things we need to understand, that uh, olfactory nerve um, is a direct connection from the nose to the brain? It's a primordial nerve. If you think about it, the sense of smell is probably the first sense that even bacteria developed so that mm. they could move toward a nutrient yep. substance, for example. Um, and so that direct connection really makes it vulnerable to attack by viruses and other toxins. Um, so I, I think we really do need to study it, and there's an effort to study it, but we don't know very much about it yet.
2: Because it isn't just not being able to taste, you know, hot wings. It can be, oh, the gas leak, or something's burning, and you, right. and you don't realize. So it can really be a danger.
1: So, Sandy, I knew you were going to ask the question because you, you did mention it um, yesterday. And I asked J- Dr. John Ree, who's the chair of our Department of Otolaryngology, about long COVID and anosmia, and he said that many people do recover, um, over time, but that things don't taste the same anymore, or that they may lose their enjoyment of uh, substances they used to like. So, for example, enophiles, or people that like wine, um, can still taste it, but maybe they don't enjoy it as much, even if they recover somewhat.
0: Interesting. Um, heart health so important and a leading cause of problem in our country. A new study shows potassium-rich foods could improve heart health for women. Potentially good news. What do we know about that?
1: It is good news. And, you know, we have not studied heart health in women adequately. There's been an overrepresentation of men. And so trying to understand what we can do to help deal with a really significant issue in women is important. And it's been known for a long time that potassium rich foods can lower blood pressure, but they also seem to have another extra benefit in women just in terms of reducing the risk for heart disease. And those would be avocados and bananas Uh, uh, up many fruits and vegetables. So I think that is something that um, we should really look into as a lifestyle modification that could be helpful.
2: I'm delighted to report that at least two female teammates uh, up in the kitchen this past week have been making avocado toast. So th- we're getting the
1: message, some of <laughs> us. <laughs> I like avocado toast. I like bananas, too. I was saying I saw a banana
2: peel mm-hmm. in the trash, too. So uh, we're, we're on our way to more potassium-rich foods and heart health.
0: Yes. One more quick uh, question about women. Uh, another study showing black women of childbearing age more likely to have uncontrolled blood pressure than white women. What yeah. do we know about that? Yeah,
1: that's true, and it, it goes along with a pattern of health disparities that predominantly afflict African-Americans in the United States. And uh, African-American women in particular may not have access to the health care that they need. Um, And uh, that, that may be one issue. But there are probably behavioral, societal, and genetic predispositions to hypertension that we don't quite understand. We do know, they're called the social determinants of health, that where you're born, the zip code that you're in, Where you grow up and your surroundings actually influence your overall health. So there's probably a connection to these social determinants of health with hypertension in Black women.
0: That is the reality. What's Dr. Raymond's good news of the week?
1: The good news of the week is this is the year of mental health, according to Governor Evers' budget. And we've talked about this so many times in the past. Mental health is such a critical issue in our society now, and the fact that. Both parties are focusing on mental health, that it's a priority for the governor's proposed budget. I think it's a very good thing to raise awareness. And hopefully there'll be some money there to help us start to deal with these really difficult mental health issues.
0: Let's hope so. It's so critically important. Dr. John Raymond is the president and CEO of the Medical College of Wisconsin. Dr. Raymond, thank you so much.
1: Thanks, John and Sandy.